Hello, welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Osban, here with my friend in Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Today we will be discussing Brachot Daf Mem Dalad 44. I really just want to get started actually at the top of the Daf and do something that I think is a little bit different than what we've done before um, and unpack a little bit an interesting story that's brought at the beginning of the Daf and what it could teach us and uh, what it may mean. The Gemara on this staff starts straight off with a Mishnah, and it's discussing the issue of if you have a salted food with bread, which one do you make a bracha over? If you make a bracha on the salted food, um, does that exempt you from making a bracha of hamotzi over the bread, right? Whereas before we learned that the bracha on bread of hamotzi lachamina it seems to sort of be the most important blessing, but here may be a case where the salted food is actually what you're primarily eating, and the bread is sort of just something that you sort of used to um, eat the salted food. And after the mission of the Gemara goes on and says, right, so where would there be a circumstance where you would have salted food, which would be the primary food and the bread is secondary? So the answer, Rav Acha, the son of Rav Avira, says in the name of Rav Ashi, that this was taught specifically about fruits of Ginosar. Um, and as we're going to see later on, and we'll read pieces of that Gemara, these were very, very sweet fruits. So what are these fruits of Ginosar? So I won't get into all of this, you know, the whole history of it, but Ginosar is the Targum basically says that that's actually, it's a Roman word for Kineret. Um, and that what it means is it was a particular type of fruit that grew in Israel specifically near the Kinneret, and it was known for how sweet it was. The Gemara goes on and continues, Amar Rabba Barchana, Ki have azlinan batre de Rabbi Yochanan, lemechal peyrod ginosar, ki havinan be mea, minaktinan le, lechol chad vachad asara asara. So Rabba Barchana recounts the following story, that when they would go to eat, uh, when they would go to Rabbi Yochanan to eat these fruits. So first of all, that's interesting that this seems to have been a particular activity that would be done, which was specifically going to Rabbi Yochanan to eat this particular type of fruit. And what would they do if they were a hundred people doing it together, okay? Each of them would bring 10 of the fruits. And if they were only 10 people going to do this, each one would bring a hundred fruits. And so all of these fruits together would require a basket of at least three seya to hold them. So these were very big fruits. This was a large quantity of fruit that they would have. Rabbi Yochanan would eat them all and then he would sort of, this is what's interesting, but he would sort of swear that he had not eaten any food. He hadn't tasted any food. So then the Gemara says, you know, how could he say that he hadn't eaten any food? Because it was, it wasn't any sustenance. In other words, because it was so sweet, it's not something that would make you necessarily feel, uh, feel full from it. Okay, so that's the first part of the story. What is this whole thing that there was sort of this activity built around going with to Rabbi Yochanan, eating these particular fruits, 
and they would bring tons of these fruits and consume large quantities of them. Gemara goes on and says, Rabbi Abel, Achil Adahabe, Sharikle, Duduba, Me'ufate. So Rabbi Avuhu, when he would eat these fruits, okay, his skin would become so slippery that a fly would even slip off of his forehead. So, and Rav Ami and Rav Asi would eat so much of it that their hair actually fell out. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, this is Reish Lakish. And this is what's interesting to note here is this is Rabbi Yochanan's Klevrutza. These are the, they always, they're the pair together. He would eat until he became confused. So Rabbi Yochanan would go to the house of the Nasi. Okay, and we're talking about here about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi because remember, uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, who are like sort of the first generation Amoraim in Eretz Yisrael, they were students of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who's the redactor of the Mishnah. They're that bridge from Tanaim to Amoraim. So he would basically send a message to the house of the Nasi. Okay, Bahave Mishader le Rabbi Yehuda Nasiya be'elushe abartre umitaye le. And Rabbi Yehuda Anasi would send authorities to Reish Lakish and they would take him um, to his house. Very, very interesting story. So on the one hand, we see that here we have Rabbi Yochanan would sort of eat these fruits. It was an activity that he did with his students. And then we sort of have examples of three rabbis who ate these fruits in a way that it actually changed who they were as people, right? The first one is that something happened, Rabbi Avahu, that something would happen to his skin so much that a fly couldn't even, you know, it was either he became so sweaty that a fly couldn't even stick on his forehead. Rav Ami and Rav Ashi, they ate so much that they actually, Rav Asi and Rav Ami ate so much that their hair actually fell out. And then we have Reish Lakish, who, different than Rabbi Yochanan, who it seems consumed so much of this fruit, when he consumed this fruit, he actually, in a way, sort of lost control. And so much so that they would have to go to their teacher, to Rabbi Huda Anasi, and he would have to escort him home. So one of the fun interpretations I saw of this is actually what they're discussing here, and this may have to do with some of the sulfur levels that are actually on the where this fruit was grown, that maybe it almost was like this fruit was like a psychedelic, like it actually changed something um, about how people perceive the world, perceive themselves, or it had some actual metabolic effects, right? Like you would lose your hair. But what we're seeing, you know, with Rachel Lucky's here is almost like he had an experience of eating a particular type of natural substance and it made him act in a different way. Um, what I am taken by, again, is this contrast between Rabbi Yochanan and Rachel Lakish. Um, and I think a little bit of what's going on here is uh, some of what this is discussing is sort of an approach to the natural world. Um, we talked a lot about in some of the previous podcasts why we think wine and bread have their own special bracha, right? Why do they have their own blessing? Because that really sort of describes the partnership between God and man in order to transform and to create, right? The intellect that God has blessed us with allows us to take the fruit of the vine or allows us to take something that looks like, you know, uh, wheat and we transform it into something else, right? We transform it into wine or we transform it into bread. Fruit in a way, and is just something that I think is just observing God's goodness. 
we can't ever reproduce fruit, right? Like, I don't think you could have a company, right? This was something that I read on on this. I can't remember where I saw this, but someone pointed out a commentary on this Daf and Brachot that you wouldn't be able to reproduce fruit. And that some of what's going on here is, is that really what this is a mushup for is sort of the ways different people sort of interact or view or sort of express their love or um, the, of what they see in Hashem's world, in God's world. So Rabbi Yochanan, in a way, here, he's somebody who part of what he teaches his students is he teaches them to appreciate what's in God's world. Partaking of that fruit is something that's important to do. And I think the thing of him saying at the end is that it was almost like he didn't eat on a literal meaning. It's trying to tell us that sweet foods don't make us full. But I think what it's saying, you know, sort of on a deeper level is that no matter how many times Rabbi Yochanan partook in the beauty of Hashem's world, it never was, he was never full. He always could look back at more of the world and see how beautiful what Hashem has put in this world is. And here we have Reish Lakish, who I think almost has like an opposite reaction, where almost he loses his mind in the beauty of Hashem's world. And that maybe for him, the exposure was a little bit too much. Um, and he almost felt it too much. And it almost caused him to become, you know, it didn't almost, it actually caused him to be out of control in a way that he actually needed to be escorted back to his home. And so I think really what this Gamar is doing is almost giving us two different approaches of how we encounter the natural world and what God has so beautifully put into the world. Um, you know, that here we have Rabbi Yochanan, who it's part of what he wants to teach his students, and but he's able to do it in a controlled way, and it's never enough for him. He's never full from what he sees. Whereas we compare it to Reish Lakish, who maybe Reish Lakish crossed a little bit of a line. It almost was like Reish Lakish was literally intoxicated by the beauty of the world, and maybe wasn't totally, you know, sure how to integrate it. We'll talk about them. I think this is reflective a little bit of what their personalities were of Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. We know that Reish Lakish sort of was either a gladiator or, uh, you know, so he may have had a little bit more of an extreme physical personality. Rabbi Yochanan was very different than that. Um, but uh, just something for us to think about. I thought this was a really interesting piece of Gemara here. I find it fascinating. I mean, We've been talking about how we see how Chazal were real, real people, and they talk about bodily functions and, you know, whatever. This goes beyond, right? If you haven't seen this piece of Gemara, you would not predict it. Um, and I find that fascinating. Even without the, even out, even if you leave aside the supposition that perhaps it's psychedelic or something like that, even, even without the details of that, it's very clear that there is some influence of this, you know, fruit from Ginozar. And the fact that we have less information about it, not more, is also very intriguing, right? Like, it's not as if there's a, I don't know, botanical explanation of this particular fruit, why it's so sweet, why you would accompany it with salt. Like, there's, it's fascinating to me. I thank you for dealing with it because I, I would not have even known what to say. And, and but it's, I find it very intriguing. I'm going to bring us back to, like, you know, more standard um, so standard Mishnah Gemara, what we're talking about in terms of Birkat Hamazon and the um, the seven species of Eretz Yisrael. And I want to note that some of what we've been doing in this Gemara, meaning these previous up, in, up until now, is officially out of order, right? Meaning in part that's because when if you're just learning the Mishnah and then you learn all of the Gemara, then you would you know at least see like let's say the 
the general generational responses. You would have all the Mishnah before you, before you would see the Gemara interpretation, commenting, and so on. So then you wouldn't come to Gemara about a topic before you've seen the Mishnah on it. But that's exactly what we've done. Meaning we've been talking about Shivat Aminim, and we've been talking about Berkat Amazon, and we've been talking about um, the Alhamechia, you know, Brachame and Chalosh, excuse me, and also Borei um, Fasho. But we have not introduced these things, right? We've been referring to them and we've been applying them, but we don't officially yet know what they are. So this bit of the Gemara on, on Memdalanam and Aleph gives us a little bit more Seder because, first of all, it begins with the Mishnah and then the Gemara is on that Mishnah, which is helpful. So here we go. So if you eat, and these are three of the seven species, namely grapes and figs and pomegranates, according to Rabban Gamliel, you should say a full Birkat Amazon, but Chachamim say, no, only Alamechia. I'm going to call it Alamechia. It's Achat Me'en Chalosh. The wording is not Alamechia if you're talking about Al-Gefen or whatever. It has a certain change of formula based on what fruit you have just eaten or whether you've had Mizonot, but Either I'm going to call it al michia or I'm going to call it Brachamei and Shalosh. The reason I want to avoid Brachamei and Shalosh to the extent that I can is because benching, Berkat Amazon, the Gemara calls Shalosh Brachot, right? Now we have four, but we'll, fundamentally it began with three. And that means Berkat Amazon. That's the way the mission and the Gemara referred to Berkat Amazon. Rebbe Kivo Mer Afilu Achal Shelek. If you ate this boiled vegetable business that Yardin was talking about the other day, and you are satisfied from it. According to that, Rabbi Kiva says, So that means that if you you would have, you would bench a full birkat on boiled vegetables, if you were full from it. Now this would answer our discussion question about what happens when you go to the fancy res- restaurant or you go to have a Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, and fundamentally you have not eaten mizonot or hamotzi. And so doesn't that, wouldn't that knock you out of the running of birkat and according to Rabbi Akiva, no, if, are you full? If you're full, if you're sated, then that is what it takes to bench. It, you know, that you are satisfied, then you say grace after meals afterwards. Um, so the, the position here is that if you drink water because you're thirsty, right, then you make a shalkol bracha on it in advance, you know, beforehand, Rabbi Tarfon says you can also say Borein Fashot afterwards. Not everybody agrees, we will see. Or we might not see actually at this time. The Gemara takes exactly this business, this machloket between Rabbi Gamliel and Chachamim about do you say Birkat Amazon or just Alamechia on the Shivat Aminim? My Talmud, Rabbi Gamliel. The Gemara says, well, why? Why is Rabbi Gamliel saying that you're going to bench on Shivat Aminim? They're fruit. Okay, they're they're Eretz Israel fruit, but still they're fruit. Dechtiv Eretz Chitas Orav Chulein. It gives us the whole pasuk. Bechtiv Eretz Asher Lo B'Misukin Misukinut Tochal Balechem V'Gomer. Bechtiv Achalta V'Savata V'Rachta Tashem Elkecha. So the Gemara basically lines up these three pasukim. The first pasuk is what we'll call the Shivat Aminim pasuk. The second one says, "The land in which you will eat bread." without there being anything missing, without there being anything scarce. All of these particular in Devarim, Perkhet. So one is Perkhet, Chet, verse Chet. The next is verse Tet, nine. And the last 
basically translates to be you will eat and you will be satisfied and then you will bless, right? This is the the pasuk that gives us benching. And that is Dvarim Chet Yud, right? I mean, it all follows together. So if you're going to talk about the Shivat Aminim in verse 8, and you're going to talk about the mitzvah of Birkat Amazon in verse 10, right? Like it's a smoking gun. It's right there. You have to bench, right? Rabbi Gamliel concludes from here that the fruits for Eretz Yisrael need, the, the Shivat Aminim need Birkat Amazon because of this proximity. But the Rabbanan say, but you've got, it's not just the fruit before you get to, before you get to the mitzvah of Birkat Amazon. You're talking about Eretz. You get this whole verse in the middle, right? Where you're talking about bread and you're not talking about fruit in general. And of course, Rabban Gamliel has that same verse too, because it's number nine, eight, nine, ten. Verse ten is there for him. Rabban Gamliel, Nami, Eretz Yifzikanyan, Ahu Mibayale Lemiute Hakoses Atachita. So he says, now that will come to exclude somebody who's eating wheat kernels, like from the wheat stalk, as opposed to somebody who's grinding and making into bread. You would then say, okay, that does not count as the way we use Shivat Aminim. So you would not have to bench on that. That's his distinction. Now, I find this, you know, I, I don't, I'm not convinced by his argument, but I find it very um, representative of the way the Gemara functions. And that's one of the reasons I'm pleased to talk about it now, is that if we have a machloket, then every time there's a detail that is going to be supportive or, for that matter, a problem for one side, the other side has to be able to address it and resolve it in, within the context of its own approach. So Rabbi Gamliel can't ignore this intermediary verse, meaning number nine, uh, which is talking about bread. He has to have a different reason for it to be there besides to distinguish between when you bench and when you don't bench. Wait, which, which seems much more palatable. In, oh, no pun intended. Um, it seems much more palatable in terms of, of um, you know, here's benching and here's Shivat Aminim. And they're not together except for when it's from grain. Rabbi Gamliel does not see that distinction. He still has to apply. He still has to analyze what's going on with verse Tet in between. So he has this patent. He has this solution. Amar Rabbi Yaakov, Ba'idi, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Kol Shuhu, Mechumashet Aminim, now, this is a principle that we needed established long ago, which we live with as established, of course. But in terms of our Gemara learning, it has not been said. So Rav Yaakov Bar-Idi says it, and he says that Rabbi Hanina said it. Anything that is from the five minei dagan, the five species of grain, you start by saying that's the bracha, that's a preliminary bracha. And then when you finish, you say the abridged version of Birkat Amazon, which is Mayin Shalosh, which is Alam Mechia. He says straight up, this is what we need to do. And in fact, we may know this because this is what we do do. Any of you who are eating Mizonot um, will say then Alam Mechia afterwards, right? But we just we didn't have we've been discussing it as if it's a given, and here it's where it's stated. And the Gemara goes on to establish like these basic principles that, of course, we need to know, namely that any of the other shivat meaning not the grain, but these five fruits that are the remaining um, fruits, they're fruits from shivat You make the blessing you say beforehand is bore Now, what's different about these shivat as compared to other fruits 
is libasof bracha chamein shalosh. You say an alamechia bracha, right? You say a, an abridged version of of berkat hamazon, and not borei nefashot. If you ate a a pack of apples, you know you had plenty of apples that you're going to bench on them. You're you're not going to say berkat hamazon, but you're also not going to say bracha mein shalosh. You're going to say borei nefashot rabachasronan. I'll be done with it. But if you had this, if you had that quantity of rimon of pomegranate, you would say this alamechia, this bracha mein shalosh afterwards. Because that is the specialness of the Shivat Aminim of Eretz Yisrael. Okay, we're almost at the end here, but I just want to conclude with this fact that the Gemara does not leave any stone unturned once it's being um, systematic and presenting the basic principles here. What is this Brachamein Shalosh? Now, I've just said it's systematic, but it's at the end of this whole discussion. What's going on here? Why is it here? Well, this is the way the Gemara works. It's a little bit discursive. It's a little bit associative. But it's the kind of thing that if you really go through everything, then it is all there. And if you come to the Sifre Halacha, if you come to the books of Halacha afterwards, they streamline the Gemara, um, the Gemara's arguments and positions in a way that might be more um, seemingly organized, let's say, or at least for a Western system of organization. It's not fair to say the Gemara is not organized, but it's much more associative kind of thinking. So we get the answer. Amar le, a peire de eights. If you're, if what you've eaten is um, fruit of the tree, then what you say afterwards is ala eights val priya eights val tunuvat hasadeva erta chumda tova or chavashin chata lavotenu lechome piria v'lisboa mituva rachem Hashem elokenu al Yisrael mecha v'al Yerushalayim irecha al mikdashecha mikdash. Slightly different from the Alhamichi that I have memorized, but very, very close. And it's got all these component parts that are in Birkat Hamazon. That's why it's called like an abridged, a mini Birkat Hamazon. It's very fast and it's only for this, these kinds of settings, not for bread. And according to some, not for a full meal even if you didn't have bread. That depends. And then, what do you say? On the five um, species of grain, you say, and then you come go back to what has just been presented, and it will follow through. And the idea of a, of a good portion is, is that there, there's a great appreciation for the fruits that come from the ground, and that includes the grains that come from the ground. And when it's when they are special Eretz Yisrael fruits and grains, then we're in a different category than simply eating, right? Then there's a level of kedusha that gives us not just the most abridged thank you to God for ben for for the food that we have just eaten, but we tie it back to the mikdash, right? That's part of what's in Birkat Hamazon and in a very, or to Yerushalayim, in a very abridged form, you, you see it there in Alamechia. So it's not surprising that the, the Shivat Aminim that are special to Eretz Yisrael get the, this extra text if you eat you know, a sufficient quantity of them to be able to bench, um, not a full benching, but this abridged benching afterwards because it has the component parts that connect it to Eretz Yisrael and the Kedusha of, of the mikdash and so on. Okay, that was a big long chunk. Thank you for listening. I'm hoping that this, you know, kind of organized all the pieces in their component parts in order, and we can move on well having established this. Um, you can, let's see, 
rank us and review us where you get your podcast. You can find us on the Hadron. You can comment. Please join the discussion on our Facebook page. Until tomorrow's daf, go and learn.